0: Got some Bible readings this morning before Wayne comes up and speaks to us. Now, there's a few of them, there's some lengthy ones to read, so I encourage you to get your Bibles out uh, or your devices which you read your Bibles on. And first of all, we're going from going to be reading through Joel chapter two, verses one to eighteen. So Joel chapter two, verses one to eighteen, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble and fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. It's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a mighty army appears. How great and powerful they are. The likes of them have not been seen before and never will be seen again. Fire burns in front of them and follows them in every direction. Ahead of them the land lies as fair as the Garden of Eden and all its beauty. Behind them is nothing but desolation. Not one thing escapes. They look like tiny horses and they run as fast. Look at them as they leap upon the mountains. Listen to the noise they make, like the rumbling of chariots, like the roar of a fire sweeping across a field, or like a mighty army moving into battle. Fear grips all the people, every face grows pale with fright. The attackers march like warriors and scale city walls like like trained soldiers. Straight forward they march, never breaking rank. They never jostle each other. Each moves in exactly the right place. They lunge through the gaps. No weapon can stop them. They swarm over the city and run along its walls. They enter all the houses, climbing like thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance and the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars no longer shine. The Lord leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can endure it? And this is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing and your grief. Instead, tear your hearts Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is not easily angered. He is filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. Who knows? Perhaps even yet he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this terrible curse. Perhaps he will give you so much that you'll be able to offer grain and wine offering to the Lord your God as before. Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring everyone, the elders, the children, even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. The priests who minister in the Lord's presence will stand before the people in the altar weeping. Let them pray, spare your people, Lord. They belong to you, so don't let them become an object of mockery. Don't let their name become a proverb of unbelieving foreigners who say, where is the God of Israel? He must be helpless. Then the Lord will pity his people and be indignant for the honor of his land. Also reading from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Thanks, Wayne.
1: Sacred Assembly, God's Appointed Times. I want to invite you to read the words that I hope are on the screen behind me. As we remember what these times are all about. You ready? God's rehearsals for God's people to participate in God's story centered on God's son, restoring God's creation for God's glory. Who's the center of all this? that's right he's it one of the most sobering things that paul writes uh, to timothy is a warning in 2 timothy ch- chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 and he talks about the things that will be happening in the last days in the days that precede the return of jesus and one of the things that he says will be happening is that people will love only themselves in other words one of the defining characteristics will be people will be self-centered. I think we are living in the last days. I think there's a greater capacity for self-centeredness now than has ever existed on the planet. Simply because we are doing all sorts of things called selfies we're making movies of ourselves, we're making movies of our life, we're putting them up for every. We're sharing them with everybody, where we very much are caught up in the spirit of the age of make yourself the center of everything. Your story matters." all those kinds of language and phrases that you heard. God's appointed festivals, His appointed times, remind us that we're not the center of a story. We're living in a different story, a larger story, God's eternal story. And so one of the gifts to the people of God in a self-centered age is a sacred assembly, is remembering God's story, learning God's story, living in God's story. And parents, I want to encourage you today that... The greatest, I believe, one of the greatest antidotes you can give your children to the self-centeredness of the age is to bring them into sacred assembly, to bring them into God's appointed time, to teach them God's eternal story that they're living in that way. But also you want to help them to discern the story and the narrative that the culture is telling us. I'm pretty passionate about this. I read some news articles this morning. And, I, and it confronted my spirit because what's being told in them is clearly and you would say, "Well, obviously, not God's story. It's people at the center of their own story. It's people being aggrieved by things that have been done to them. They've no consciousness of the grief that their actions and attitudes cause to the true and living God who's worthy of all worship and praise. And so all they have is their own victim narrative. And they keep telling that over and over again, in podcasts, in books, in interviews, in magazines. But when we live in God's story, we we are delivered from self-centeredness and from thinking that Our life matters in a way that the Bible doesn't say because our lives do matter because we are participating in God's story centered on God's son. We have a role to play, but we are not the central character of the story. God is the central one. Just a few days ago, King Charles III gave his first speech as king and most of the world paid attention I need to confess that I haven't seen it in its fullness. I haven't read the transcript. But I know that there was a lot of chatter going on because people were thinking, what's the new king going to say? Because it's going to set the tone for his reign, for his rule. What is the new king going to say? I want you to think with me about Jesus for a moment. What were some of the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he began his public ministry, when he gave his first speech, if you like, that are recorded in the Gospels? Have a think about that. I'm going to tell you the answer in a minute, but I want you to think about that. Who thinks they could stand up and with confidence say the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he began to speak and teach were? Anyone, have, anyone bold? So that's Luke's record. Someone said Isaiah 61. Some of you don't know what Isaiah, Isaiah 61. You better write that down. Go home and look that up. Isaiah 61. Okay, and Luke does, that's the message that Luke has. But before we get to Luke, because the Gospels are written and they're put in the Bible in a particular order for a particular reason. So what's Matthew say? Well, I'll tell you, here are some things that Jesus didn't say. The first words out of Jesus' mouth when he begins his public ministry are not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He didn't say, God wants you to live your best life now. He didn't say, God will give you a pain-free and easy life. He didn't say any of those things. If you've still got your Bible open at Matthew 3, which the reading was from this morning, turn over to Matthew 4 and verse 17, and you'll see that Jesus' first words are these. When he comes onto the stage of the world, he says, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And each of those words is important. As Jesus is saying, everyone needs to repent. Everyone needs to turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Everyone needs to repent. Well, that includes... Males and females, it includes rich and poor, it includes white people and black people and brown people and gay people and trans people and bisexual people. It includes religious people, spiritual people and atheist people. And so the the question for all of us and for the world is, have you repented of your sins and turned to God because the kingdom is near? Many people think that repentance is feeling sad. Well, sadness may lead to repentance, but sadness is not evidence of repentance. Now, that might be a new thought for you, so, and I will unpack that as we move through this morning. That sadness may reflect repentance. Repentance or maybe something that is a step towards repentance, feeling sorrow, feeling sad, but feeling sad isn't repentance. Saying sorry isn't repentance. Saying, oh, sorry, God is not repentance. It's a step towards repentance, but it isn't repentance. I'm going to unpack what repentance is in a few minutes. But I want to draw your attention to the motivation that Jesus gives us for repentance. He says it like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, the king of heaven's coming to reign. Get ready. God's coming to live again on earth. Get ready for that day. It's a great and a glorious day. Now, this is the word, this is the message of Joel 2 and many of the other 150 chapters in the Bible about the day of the Lord, about the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the earth. And Joel calls it the day of the Lord. And you heard that read to you a little, a few minutes ago. And this is how Joel says it. And again, I want you to catch the gravity of this this morning. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say, God's coming. He loves you. It's all going to be okay. No, Joel says, let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen like it again. We don't know it. Nothing like it has happened before and nothing like it's ever going to happen again. And then Joel goes on and unpacks all the way through Joel 2 what that's going to look like and what response God's looking for from the people of the earth. And the thing I want you to note is that the Bible is not sentimental or romantic about the coming of the Lord. The Bible is saying this is a catastrophic invasion of the entire planet. The one who created all things is returning with an unswerving commitment to drive rebels off his planet. the Bible speaks of that as using the language of hell. It's like, because you don't want me as king, the only option now for you is this other place prepared for the devil and his angels, the lake of fire. You see, the fire of the king of heaven, and I think Joel is capturing this in some of his language. The fire of the king of heaven, when he comes on the day of the Lord, will consume every demon and every unrepentant human. Consumed by the fire of his mouth. So this is why it's a really sobering thing, because he's coming back to reclaim his planet He's coming back and he's going to recreate the world to reveal his glory. Now, the good news is that all those who do what Jesus says, who repent, who turn to the Lord because they understand that great day is coming and they prepare themselves for it. One of the fascinating things that I've learned with the death of Queen Elizabeth II is how much thought she put into preparing for what was going to happen afterwards. All of the details she thought through, this is what's going to need to happen. For people on that day, how much more attention should we be paying to the scriptures that say, this is the way to prepare for the day of the Lord. And sacred assembly, God's appointed times, are that gift, that rhythm, this annual rhythm that we go through, which is reminding us that that day is coming, we need to get ready, we need to help others get ready, and we need to be pointing to that. We are a signpost that the world's not just going to continue on. That, the that um, you know, the people that are, uh, the guy from who founded, an outdoor clothing company, Patagonia. Uh, there was a video of him fly fishing this week. And, and the narrator was telling the story that this, this guy that started this clothing company is giving away all his billions to combat climate change. That's a pretty noble cause. But what if he gave it away to equip the church and the world for the day of the Lord? How much greater would that be? Wouldn't that be a greater investment? To invest in that. Now we all got that opportunity in some way, shape or form coming up in our harvest offering. You've all got the brochures about that. But this thing, it's like we are prophesying. We are declaring the day of the Lord is coming. Get ready. The king is drawing near. The time of his appearing is coming. And so we are calling the world to repentance. Because of this, this is a certain and inevitable event. It's not something that will be accidental. And so Joel says, that's why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. This is a message for teenagers. This is the message that teenagers need to hear. This is the message that young adults need to hear as well. That day is coming and the Lord says, turn to me now. Give me your hearts. Don't just do outward things, come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't, and don't tear your clothing. This is Joel 2 verse 13. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God. For he is... Merciful and compassionate. He is slow to get angry. He is filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. This is who God is. This is the message we need to embody in our lives. This is it. We can return to the Lord. People, everyone can return to the Lord. The people that think they are so far from God, so far gone, that they could never turn to the Lord. You, you've you got people in your life like that and you need to be a messenger of hope for them to say, no, 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 that's not how it is. The Lord's invitation is here, return to to the Lord your God. He is merciful and compassionate. He is slow to get angry. He is filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. If you will just turn, just turn to him. And that's why Jesus' message is repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Most of the books of the Bible are written in Hebrew and the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. It's a majestic word like a beautiful diamond. Teshuva. Just try to say that with me. Teshuva. Teshuva. So, have you teshuvaed? Teshuva. It comes from a root word meaning to turn back or to turn around, and so you can hopefully see all the connections. And it has several practical meanings and I want to run through them. Uh, there's a summary that's going to come up behind me. But here's what Teshuva includes from the scriptures. Now, for the sake of time this morning, uh, I'm only going to reference a few scriptures. There are far more. And if you would like a comprehensive list, that can be provided for you. So, first and foremost, uh, teshuvah is this fundamental change of identity. And, and that goes back to this idea that I li- start to live in God's story, not, not realize, you know, instead of thinking I'm the center of everything. I start to realize that he's the center of everything and I live in his story. And so I I return to him, I turn to him away from living independently of God and I begin to live in dependence upon God and his grace and his mercy because he is compassionate and full of kindness. And And he will receive me on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross and we remembered that earlier this morning so it's this fundamental change of identity it's no longer thinking of myself as as if i belong to me i now understand that i belong to him i've been brought with a bought with a pot price this is sort of the language that that paul picks up in second corinthians 5:17 when he says Because I am in Christ, I am a new creation and my life is no longer my own, but belongs to Christ. So repentance is this being born again, is some of the other language that we use. So it's this fundamental change of identity. I no longer think of me as me, but I think of me as belonging to Christ. I'm his. I belong to Him. So I no longer identify myself or use other things in in a way as my primary identity. I use Christ as my primary identity. I don't use my achievements as my primary identity. But nor do I use my failures as my primary identity. Christ is my primary identity. Is the evidence that I have repented, I've changed. Secondly, it's a consistent movement toward God. It's it's something where my life is moving in His direction, and um, one of the and there's evidence that shows that I'm moving in His directions. Uh, over the course of my life. And this has become, for me, the primary thing that I look for in my own life and I look for in the life of other people. I look for what's the trajectory of their life and their choices. Are Are they moving towards God or are they moving away from God? And sometimes people know this, especially those who do maths, but all of us know that if you... If you set out on the path and you veer off slightly, at first you don't notice, but then the further you go along, the more you realize your path has diverged. And at that point, you want to repent, you want to return and return to the Lord, if that happens to you. Because if you don't, you end up just further and further away from God and you end up in a very bad place for all eternity. So Joel 2.12 says, turn to me now. Joel 2.13 says, tear your hearts, not your clothes. Now, I tried to think about this and how I might share this with you. And so I bought some Velcro with me this morning. Velcro is a fascinating invention, isn't it? Because you get the two bits and the, there's a bit that, well, they join joined together, right? You all know that. Okay. But some, and our hearts are like this, bear with me. It's a very simple illustration. If you think about it, our hearts are designed for love and we can get our hearts attached to the wrong thing. And so part of repentance is tearing our heart away from the thing it's got wrongly attached to so that it can reattach to God and love him with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength. That's It just happens. Sometimes it happens accidentally, sometimes it happens intentionally, but we need to regularly tear our hearts away from the things it's got wrongly attached to. And return to the Lord. And that's part of this consistent movement of repentance. So that is what's going on. We also, uh, another part of repentance is restoration. This is how, this is one of the key reasons how I know I've repented is because I have been willing to restore what I have stolen from people. Whether that be money, relationships, or other things, and this is part of what what um, John the Immerser, when he sees the, the religious leaders coming to him, this is Matthew three eight. We had this verse read to us, or Matthew three eighteen, I think it is. And he said to them, in the, you know, he said, "Welcome, guys. It's so good to see you. You brood of vipers. Who told you to come here?" Isn't that a great way to greet people who've come out to listen to you preach? You brood of vipers, I'm so glad you came today. It goes on, this says, Prove by the way that you live that you have repented. How do you know if you've repented? How do you know if your children have repented? How do you know if anyone has repented? Is that they are demonstrating it by a life lived. Now think with me for a moment of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, if you're not familiar with the story of Zacchaeus and his his lunch with Jesus, you can look that up in Luke 19 when you go home today. Uh, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus's house and has lunch. At the end of the lunch, Zacchaeus stands up and announces that he is going to pay back. He's going to restore... Uh, what he has stolen. He's going to pay back. He's going to give half of his wealth to the poor. He's going to pay back four times what he has stolen. And, and if you look, read it closely, and you look at what Jesus says. He says, today salvation has come to this house. This is a true son of Abraham. You see... This is one of the things we know about repentance is that I am willing to restore what I've stolen. If my mouth has trashed someone's relationship, repentance means I am willing to go and apologize to the person whose relationship I've trashed. And I'm willing to go around to all the people I've mouthed off to that person about and apologize, confess my sin, and say that I was wrong. That's repentance. It's not, it's not going, oh, sorry. Sorry. It's action. It's restoring what I stole from someone, in reg- regard to what that was. So I've got to restore relationships that I've trashed, which might mean, teenagers need to go and talk to their friends and say i slagged off about my mom about my dad i was wrong i should not have done that that's part of repentance you see because in that process i am turning back to the lord cuz i'm going god i have failed the commandment to love as you have loved me i have not loved this person as you have loved me and i'm res- seeking restoration with you god but i'm but i'm doing i won't come to you until i have been restored here i will demonstrate my commit i will repent by going here and making that right first. I'll seek reconciliation with them. So repentance has this restorative aspect that goes along with it. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, it's making right what I made wrong. That's repentance. And it is obedience to God in everything. It is loving and forgiving people who hate me. You read Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and when he concludes and he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And often we think of, oh, well, he means morally perfect and I can't do that. Actually, he doesn't. If you read the context, it's about loving your enemies. It's about being merciful and kind to those people who oppose you and speak evil against you. That makes you perfect and complete because that's the heart of the Father. It's doing money God's way. Repent, an act of repentance is, God, I thought all, I thought I could just keep it us and occasionally chuck you a few bucks. I didn't realize that I had to bring all of that, that my capacity to even earn income is a gift from you and is a responsibility to steward that in the way that honors and pleases you. So I need to find out what that is and bring my life and my money into alignment with that. It means doing my job God's way as well so that so that I am faultless in my employment. And even though people might not like me because I follow Christ and because I tell them about the day of the Lord, when I get opportunity, I don't stand on my desk and announce it or in the workshop, stand up on the on the um, benches and announce it. But every opportunity I get, I remind people that there's a day of the Lord coming, but my work is faultless. Because I'm I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Repentance means obeying God when it hurts to do so. Repentance includes, I I want to honour God with all of my thoughts. With all of my thoughts. I want to take every thought captive and bring it to the cross. Make it subject to Christ. And I want to love God and people. Whether I feel like it. Or not. This is a process, and it's why it's important to understand that repentance is a lifelong process. It begins in a single moment, in that moment when I turn to the Lord and submit myself to Him completely, because I've realized I've been living in rebellion against God. And in that moment, God graciously rebirths me, and I become a citizen in His kingdom. And a joint heir with Christ forever. But repentance is something that keeps going on. Because I I need to keep learning things and turning to the Lord. Because as I continue to grow up into God's family. And reading the Bible I keep seeing new things. Somehow, I don't know, this probably happens to you as well. God seems to slip new verses in. You're like... When did that get in the book? You've read this chapter 10 times before. You've never seen that verse before. And suddenly one day it's like, whoa, where did that come from? It's like, oh, now I'm in trouble. (laughs) Because now I've seen this and I can't unsee it. Now I'm obligated to obey it because there's something for me to do here. So that's repentance. It's this turning to God. It's like, God, I turn to you. I realize now that I haven't been doing this. And now I turn to you and bring my heart in alignment to say, yeah, I want to do this. And God, it's going to be tough. So I'm really going to need your help to obey you. And I'll start to do it. So just to recap, Teshuva, this beautiful Hebrew word. He's speaking of this fundamental change in identity, a consistent movement toward God. It's rest- restoration, it's obedience, and it's this lifelong process. So, and like I said earlier, there are 150 chapters in the Bible where most of the chapter is speaking about the day of the Lord, just like Joel 2. It'll be a great day for the repentant. It will be a terrible day for the unrepentant. And so the message of my life and the message of your life needs to be these words of Jesus, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And As we finish today, my questions for you to think about are these. How are you repenting and returning to God? In the sacred assembly is a beautiful time to do that. It's a wonderful time to come in and out of the prayer room with the, and say, Lord, search me. And just reveal things to me. There, there's stuff that you hide from yourself because you don't want to see it. And the invitation for God from, for you is to say, Lord, search me. Because Christ has not yet been fully formed in me. I realize that about myself, but I, I'm, I, I don't see things. Maybe you do see things. And so you need to engage with the Lord on the obvious things. And, so, and then, so the, and the question that follows from that is, will the day of the Lord be a great day or a terrible day for you? Well, the day of the Lord... The coming of the King, will it be a great day or a terrible day for you? And then you begin to think, well, will the day of the Lord be a great day or a terrible day for my family members? The, my co-workers, the people I sit next to in class, at, in school and in university, will it be a great day? And it's like, well, how can I communicate? the need that that day is coming, it's an inevitability and just say something that might help them think about that. One of the things that they teach you about um, vision is you begin with the end in mind. You want a vision for your life? Begin with what you want the outcome to be. So what about if we begin with the day of the Lord and, and use that to decide how we want to live? Parents, teach your children to live with... The, when you live with the end in sight, when you live with the coming of the King of Kings, it will impact every decision you make all the way through life. What a great thing to do. This final question is a little more pointed. If King Jesus came to your home today, I'm talking physically. You know, like Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I'm coming to your house for lunch today, Zacchaeus. Like, whoa, okay. All right. You know, Um, would you be like a deer in the headlights or a rabbit in the spotlight um, what would you want to go what, how, what would you want to get home as fast as you could to clean up, or to hide or to get rid of? Because you would be embarrassed for Jesus to come in your house and see it. I want to say to you, repentance means actually going home and doing it today. Go home and do it. If you would be embarrassed, or you, would, you wouldn't want Jesus to see it. You might have things in your wardrobe. You wouldn't want Jesus to see you. You could have things anyway. Your browser history would be another one. Your, your social media history, that feed, like anything that you would you would not want Jesus to see when He returns, you ought to get rid of that today and keep it gone. That's repentance. So this is this time for us to live and embody this message. And we cannot call people, we can't speak of the day of the Lord and be speaking to people about repent and turn to the Lord if we've got stuff we're keeping in the dark and thinking Jesus might be okay with it. I hope Jesus is okay. I hope Jesus never sees us or so whatever we're doing with it in terms of our conscience. I was preparing... For this morning. Uh, Something happened to me that happens occasionally. And I get, suddenly in my spirit, I start to hear the words of a song. And I go, oh, that's interesting. Pay attention. And so the words of a song came to me as I was preparing and I had to look it up. And uh, it's, it was written in the 19th century uh, by Charles Sylvester Horn. How many of you are fans? <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up as well. And it's a song that he wrote about the king who is coming to reign. It's a beautiful uh, song i 'll read some of the some of it i won 't read all of it because in those days songs had many verses with the chorus interspersed in between each one so here's here 's the opening, here's the opening uh, verse: Sing we the King who is coming to reign, glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain, life. And salvation, his empire shall bring. Joy to the nations when Jesus is king. Come, let us sing. This is the chorus. Praise to our king. Jesus, our king. Jesus, our king. This is our song. Who to Jesus belong. Glory to Jesus, to Jesus, our king. And then several, there's a couple of phrases Taken from some of the other verses. Justice and truth from his scepter shall spring. Wrong shall be ended when Jesus is king. Kingdom of Christ, for thy coming we pray. Hasten, O Father, the dawn of the day. When this new song, thy creation shall sing. Satan is vanquished. And Jesus is King. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let us pray. Please invite the Holy Spirit to search you right now. And to show you what he is wanting you to repent of. Perhaps you have never surrendered your life to God fully. Right now, you can do that. That is where repentance begins. To say, my life is not my own God. It belongs to you. I surrender you. Surrender all of me to you. All of my sin, all of my brokenness, all of my wounds, the things that people have wounded me with, I surrender them all to you and say, come, Jesus, and fill me with you. And Holy Spirit, I ask you and I thank you because I know you're going to keep working in us, through this sacred assembly. You're going to continue to reveal things to us. You're going to continue to lead us into repentance. And Holy Spirit, I also ask you to make us make the words of Jesus the message of our lives. And even this rhythm of your appointed times and seasons, are part of that living, that message. But help us to embody it more fully. Take it deeper into us. Let this message permeate us in the very core of our being. And so it it flows from us, from our lives. And this invitation we can offer to people to get ready for the day of the Lord, to repent and to turn back to God for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Holy Spirit, my prayer is not just for those who are in this room but those who are watching or will watch this message. My prayer is for the children who are out in the their respective care places right now you will fill their spirits with this message you will raise them up as messengers I ask you to fill the hearts of young adults and teenagers with this message of the day of the Lord because they may truly be the generation who sees the day of the Lord who are alive when you return So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill them with the knowledge of your will, with truth, with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to grow in the knowledge of you and to be ready for the great and the terrible day of the Lord. Help them carry this message. Help them carry their hearts, Holy Spirit. I know you will help them if they ask you to. Jesus, I know you will teach them because you, you carried your heart. You showed us how to live on this earth and carry this message in our hearts.
2: When Wayne and I were praying this morning for our community, for this morning, for the worship, for the message, we began to pray for what Wayne has just spoken out. We prayed for the next generation, the next two generations, and I, I believe the Lord um, began to just stir something to to share this morning at the end here it's actually from Luke chapter 2 but it's in line with this repentance and I, I believe it's particularly for parents in this community parents and grandparents and anyone anyone who is mentoring or discipling in whatever way teenagers or children but particularly parents when Jesus came to the earth the first time when he was born the Lord raised up people who would prepare the way and Wayne has spoken about John the Baptist this morning But there were other people he raised up as well. And in Luke two, we read about Simeon and we read about Anna, the prophet who were both in the temple on the day that Jesus' parents brought him according to the law to be dedicated to the Lord and to be circumcised. And the Holy Spirit rested on Simeon. It tells us that in Luke chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit had showed Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And when they brought him in that morning, It says that the Holy Spirit led Simeon to them and he took this baby, the Lord Jesus, in his arms and he praised God. You can read that. And it says that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart too and as we are in this season of repentance parents i believe that the lord is wanting to say i desire a generation I desire a generation this is God the father for his son I desire a generation who will be raised up in the knowledge of my coming with the knowledge that I'm coming and with the understanding that the way they live And when my spirit comes on them, they will prophesy and they will testify. And they will experience opposition. Because as they testify, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And even there are going to be many moments when you, as their parents, It will feel like a sword has pierced your heart also. As you watch them growing up in the knowledge of the Lord and standing apart in their generation. And everything within you will want to remove the suffering from them. You will want to remove them from anything that causes them to suffer And I believe the Lord is saying I'm looking for a generation of parents who will not shrink back and who will understand that I'm raising up a generation who will be consecrated to me and who will declare the way of the Lord and prepare the way of the Lord because a testimony is going to go out because I am merciful and the testimony of my son will fill the earth And he's looking for parents who understand this and who are willing to let their children be given in consecration to the Lord for his purposes. Just as Hannah took Samuel into the temple and she gave him over, as soon as he was weaned, he was probably between four and five, maybe even six years old of age according to the traditions of that time she knew it was a corrupt priesthood and she gave him for service to the lord and in that place in the midst of that corruption that young boy began to hear the word of the lord and as samuel grew up none of his words fell to the ground and he was a mighty prophet of god And he was one who prepared the way of the Lord for his purposes in that next generation. Because Israel was apostate at that time. And some of these ones that you are raising, they're even going to go to the nations. They will even go to the Middle East. the question the Lord is asking for those who have ears to hear when we recognize the season on the earth whatever the Lord has for our children will we trust him or are we going to shrink back and wrap our children in cotton wool and say no Lord not my children not my children And may the Lord be gracious to us that we can see and understand that they would form part of those that Psalm 110 says are the volunteers who were willing on the day of his battle. And you know what? They will want to. And all you need to do is say, I'm willing, Lord. And pray that your children will grow up with their hearts awakened. That that desire will begin to breathe on their spirits. They will be the ones saying, Lord, I feel like, Mom, I feel like the Lord's got a, an assignment for me. To in some way prepare for his coming whatever that is and you as parents he's going to prepare you to say not my will but the Lord's will be done and son daughter you love him with all of your heart you you go where he sends you you stay if he says stay You witness, you testify, and the Lord's eternal reward will be yours forever. And the Lord Himself will honor you. So let's not take that away. Let's not take that away because we're afraid. I'm a grandmother so I'm not separated from this word may the grace of the Lord be on that generation of parents to raise our children as if what as if they belong to the lord amen as if they belong to the lord teach them about the times to come teach them when they're mocked at school or they stand apart or you in some way take something from them because you know it's the giving of that is going to distract them from their calling teach them that they're they're different in their generation and that the Lord is raising up the Samuels he's raising up the John the Baptist, he's raising up the Annas and the Simeons there's so many different assignments, he's raising them all up the worship leaders who will prophesy And sing the songs of heaven. The Lord's grace is here, He's with us, and anything He asks or requires, He will add His grace. He will bring us in our obedience. He will draw us into the intimacy of His fellowship. Lord, we want to be willing, not fearful. We don't want to shrink back. Lord, we want to be those who pray your will be done who release not only our wealth not only the the strength of our energy not only our time all these other things but we release our sons and daughters as well as we pray for them as we train them as we set our minds on the end goal And your glory, Lord, may your glory become so important to us. That everything else is worthy to put on the altar. Because that's the bride you're coming back for, Jesus. Nothing less.